His mom got up to clear the table. No one else seemed to bat an eyelash. I got up to help. Took my dishes, some of the other ones that were still on the table, and brought them over to the sink. Still, no movement. How could he just sit there without lifting a finger? The idea of sitting by while knowing she made dinner by herself was unfathomable to me. I'd feel so uncomfortable being served without the opportunity to reciprocate. My passive-aggressive, aren't you going to help? Got him moving, but the echoes of that question gave me a premonition of my future self doing this for the rest of my life. Maybe it's the politeness my parents instilled in me, or maybe it's emotional labor. Welcome to Self-Help Junkie, the podcast where we explore the world of personal development through the eyes of book enthusiasts. I'm your host, Erica Ng, a communication coach and your resident bookworm. This season, we'll be focused on developing our romantic skills, but before we dive into the conversation with our guest, let's get a one-minute summary of the book. Emotional Labor, Why a Woman's Work is Never Done and What to Do About It by Regina Lark dives into the concept of emotional labor, which comprises of three distinct aspects, the emotional, the mental, and the labor itself. To illustrate this, let's imagine you planning a birthday party for your partner. First, there's the labor, simple tasks that need to be accomplished. You book a restaurant for the celebration and order your partner's favorite ice cream cake. Done and done. Next comes the mental work, the behind the scenes effort. You have to remember which friends to invite, consider any food allergy or dietary restrictions, find a suitable time and day, select the right size cake for everyone and ensure that the cake is safely stored until dinner. You have to confirm with the restaurant that they can serve the cake there. And lastly, there's the emotional aspect. Imagine if you neglected all these responsibilities. You'd feel ashamed and guilty and believe that you let your partner down. The book dives into the history, social pressures, and gendered expectations surrounding emotional work. It highlights the invisible labor that often goes unnoticed and unappreciated when not shared within a household. Regina Lark questions whether this work should be gender assigned or if there is a better approach to it. More importantly, the book offers insights on how to distribute this labor equitably. However, achieving this requires both partners to be fully invested in the relationship's growth. And with that, let's dive in. Today, we have a very special guest on, Dr. Regina Lark. She has a PhD in women's history and is now a professional organizer, is going to be a TED Talker. So I'm very excited to dive into her book today called Emotional Labor, Why a Woman's Work is Never Done and What to Do About It. Welcome to the show. Erica, thank you for asking me to be on your show. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on today because I think emotional labor has been something that has popped up at least on my feed over and over again. But for people who've never heard of emotional labor, what is that? How does that differ from the labor that we think about outside of that? Well, emotional labor is, I'm going to step back a moment. I think there are components to, to life at home. And there's the physical work of the home, laundry and shopping and cooking. Mm -hmm. And then there's what I call the mental load of emotional labor. And the mental load of emotional labor is the invisible, the unseen, the unnoticed, the unanticipated. It's thinking about what's coming up next. It's thinking about thinking about what you have to start thinking about for (laughs) a paper that you're going to give in a couple of months. And when you give that paper, is that going to coincide with back to school night? So it's these unnoticed uh, brain hacks going on all the time, the invisible part of the work. And the invisible part of the work 
happens because who's ever doing that, it's to keep those around them safe and comfortable and happy. You know, if I'm thinking I'm going to be missing my daughter's school play, then what's the workaround for that? Right. You know? Can I can I delay the plane? You know, can I delay my flight? So mm-hmm. so it's that thinking about because you've got a responsibility to your paid employment, you've got a you've got a huge responsibility to your child. And so it's the invisible, unnoticed, unseen, unwaged. We can bring somebody in to physically clean our home, do the laundry, do the grocery shopping. We can outsource those tasks, but the invisible part of it is finding the person to do it interviewing our friends for who they have worked with. Mm-hmm. Who do you trust? When can you take time off from your paid job to train that person in your home? So there are workarounds to the physical part, but when it comes to the thinking about thinking about things, it's largely invisible. Wonderful explanation. <laughs> let's let's rewind a little back further. So you have your PhD in women's history. How did that lead into your work now? I completed my academic career as an administrator at a major university, and I was laid off due to job cuts. Just before my layoff, I was in Jerusalem visiting a good friend of mine. Hmm. While I was there... I said, Nadra, I don't want to be a tourist. How about if I do your kitchen? And he goes, Habibi, what does that mean? And I said, Nadra, your girls are in their 30s. You got sippy cups in the cupboard. Just let me do it. <laughs> right. Let me do what I do. It was a good result. And I get back to my desk at the university. And I learned a week later, my unit was dismantled and my position eliminated. And I was I was uh, out of work. Hmm. Two months after my layoff, I told my roommate, I'm going to organize until something better comes along. We looked up organizers in a zip code. First person to come up, I read her website. I'm like, oh, this person has a PhD in mechanical engineering. And and she happened to know my roommate. And I thought, oh, organizers. Well, I know. And so uh, one thing led to another. And I started this business. And while I am doing this business, I'm working primarily with professional women between the ages of 40 and 70. Mm -hmm. And they're calling in because they have a house filled with stuff and clutter. They, they, they don't have a handle on where to put everything. And they have a terrible relationship with time. And, and there's just lots of stuff everywhere. And they seem to be the only one in the household who really cares about it. <laughs> right. And no matter what she says and does to the other adult in the household, to the children of varying ages, they, they seems to fall on closed ears. Mm-hmm. And so she calls, she outsources this. She needs help. She feels desperate. She feels shame and despair. Hmm. So I'm working with these awesome women who are telling me they feel despair. And I started thinking about, uh, and they're doing the work because they're, you know, it's housework, it's woman's work. And I started thinking about women's history. Hmm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, when did this actually become women's work? <laughs> yeah. Why do we call it that? And And I'll tell one quick story. That almost sets it up in some ways and very broadly speaking. After they, after they put their guns down at the American Revolution, mm-hmm. the founders of the United States are walking around going, okay, we're going to be making this great nation, blah, blah. We're going to colonize everything. And they're like, who are going to be the future leaders of our country? And the future leaders have to be sober and thrifty and strong minded and religious and have all of these character strengths and qualities mm-hmm. like well where are these fine young men going to come from well they're going to come from the home who's going to mm-hmm. raise them their mothers 
And so this, this notion of what becomes known as Republican motherhood, it's as if the weight of this new republic is on her shoulders and she's responsible for raising the future citizens of the state, broadly speaking, broadly speaking. So I I, I think that that cannot be discounted. I think we, we have to count that because if that was inscribed to women in the late 1700s, mm-hmm. and it's still women that are just shouldering that weight, it may not be the weight of the republic, but it's the weight of finding the right preschool. Right. You know what I, I mean? It's 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 the perspective of, of it's the context of the times. Let's go back even further, and and um, we're going. Let's meet Maya the cave woman, and Maya the cave woman is fifty thousand years ago. And Maya, the cave women's woman's brain around that time, don't quote me on dates, but around that time, we have to have the first brain, first part, the first evolution of the brain. And the first evolution of the brain included what's called this limbic or amygdala system, the limbic system of the amygdala. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we know it as the fight or flight brain. Right. So Maya wakes up. Ah! Yes, yes, I sees the cave. She comes out of the cave and she sees the soothing body of water and she doesn't have language, but she dives right in. It just touches that part of her brain. Mm-hmm. You can also wake up, rub her eyes and come out and like this big old hairy monster dinosaur. And she's like, run like hell, you know, doesn't right. have a language. But as human evolution evolved, where we're at today is that we are born with what what the scientists call the prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. I mean, among other many other manifestations, but the prefrontal cortex houses what I refer to and what is known as the um, executive functions. Mm-hmm. So there's still an amygdala. Ah, oh, cute kittens on Facebook. Right. And there's the executive functions that are planning, processing, prioritizing, thinking in a very linear way to do becomes to done. A to B to C to D. Mm-hmm. It is having a good internal relationship with time, inner, inner clock, and having found and, and being relatively emotionally managed. This, you, you're, you know, you may be known for, as somebody who their feathers never get ruffled. Mm-hmm. And the executive function part of our brain kind of manages all of that. If one has weak executive functioning skills, mm-hmm. such as somebody with ADHD or going through big life transition, marriage, death, birth, divorce, chronic depression, chronic anxiety, neurological problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know exactly how, when when you have Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis, how that impact, I don't know what that does to these executive functions, mm-hmm. but I know it, it touches them in a way. And so not having access to a fully executable executive function it's going to be hard for you to manage. You know, people do laundry, but they don't really think in terms of sort, wash, dry, fold, put away. Right. Laundry. It feels like one step. It's a thing. Right. <laughs> and if you don't have the part of the, the good relationship with time, you may be washing clothes and that same <laughs> for years and still not know how long it takes for one load to cycle through the washer machine right let alone folding it and putting it away mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here we have the weight of the world of republican motherhood <laughs> coupled with somebody with uh poorly functioning executive function skills how does she feel <laughs> you know? feels like shit right she- i mean even as a person with functioning executive functions it's exhausting. You have a full-time job. You're using that part of your brain already. You come home and now you have 
the entire house to take care of as well. When in, I think a lot of situations, you have another adult in the household. Why does it all fall to one person? It Maybe it made more sense when women weren't working out and having their own careers. Women have always worked, whether she had a career or not. Bingo. And even 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 women who are higher wage earners in their households right now mm-hmm. are the bulk of the labor at home. Right. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, though. Like, it might have made more sense when women were working in the home and not having an, a career as well. But now you have two things, whereas the man has is still only in charge of the one. It's double the labor. It's. I, I think women today live a triple day. Mm. It's the paid work, then coming home and doing that huge block of unpaid time, mm-hmm. meals and that, and, and homework and bathing suits, whatever is happening right now in, in households. And then the last third of the day is catching up mm-hmm. on what you couldn't get done at your paid job because mm-hmm. you're carrying the weight of the emotional labor there too. <laughs> I don't yeah. mean to make light of it, but I, I think it's important to recognize that there that this is a lot. Oh, for sure. And even that so-called, you know, I'll push back a little. It may have made sense when she was a stay at home. Uh, I just unpacked stay at home, by the way. Mm -hmm. She never stays home. She's doing, she's schlepping around. Anyway, stay at home makes life. She's like drinking mint juleps and washing. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I think I'll stay home. Even if this was the 1950s, the amount of work far surpasses a typical 40 hour work week. So it's never been okay. Mm-hmm. It's never been okay. The, the, the amount of work involved in household management has always far surpassed what was happening in the, on the assembly line mm-hmm. or in the law office. Let's talk a little bit about how you can bring this into your relationship. Let's say probably a woman listening to the podcast. How do you bring this up from your end? Because we were talking earlier about how you can feel this, you can recognize it, and then bringing it up to your partner, even if you're like, hey, it's your job to remember about the milk from now on. They may not remember. How do you start that conversation? How do you start bringing change so that you aren't the only person shouldering the emotional labor before you, when you're starting the conversation about living together, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's actually when you need to start the conversation mm. and never, ever believe you are going to finish the conversation. Mm. And I'll tell you why, because every relationship lives within what I call the emotional labor life cycle. Mm -hmm. Throughout our lifetimes as a couple, as a human being, we are going to experience things from marriage, death, birth, divorce. There's always something. There's always something. (laughs) There's, I think of my sister and and her uh, spouse are, they're both women and part of their emotional labor life cycle was who is going to become inseminated. There's always something. There's always a conversation. Mm. One strategy is to begin thinking about all the things that are coming up, becoming aware of things coming up, anticipating the emotional labor life cycle. So does that look like sitting down and saying like, hey, we know that we have this trip that's coming up. 
what are we going to have to do and kind of list out all the things and be like, Hey, you're better at this. Every conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, is it up to women to um, teach this? Because one, uh, I'm going to step back a a moment. and, Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest challenges is how do we make the invisible visible? Hmm. It's invisible. So we're kind of not always aware that we're doing it. So I think just having this conversation Mm -hmm. with you, and I'm glad you brought up a trip coming up. Once a plan Mm -hmm. is made for a trip, sit down and brainstorm everything you each believe. You know, just just have a brainstorming session. What do we need? What do we need? What do we need? And then go back and forth. Who's going to do it? One person may not do their part. And um, so we have you have to look at this <laughs> as an adult and think, well, what would, what are going to be the consequences if that does not get done? Talk about that. Don't just wait for it to not get done. This may be tedious. Right. This this starting this out when the dance of death has already begun. What's the consequence of not buying milk? And then drill down. What's the consequence of not having coffee? And then drill down. So again, having these conversations, because we want to get to an understanding right. of, of all of this. Like I said, when we started talking, I don't get mm. why there's not an understanding of that question on his part. I don't understand why your lactose intolerance mm-hmm. is visible to him. So how do we make the visible right. visible by having these conversations? And I think that is huge. And it takes a great deal of patience mm-hmm. and kindness and love. Um, there's also a great author out there mm-hmm. named Eve Rodsky. And Eve wrote a book called Fair Play, mm-hmm. F-A-I-R Play. She has these brilliant playing cards mm-hmm. called fair play and it's a box of playing cards and they've got the size of tarot yeah. cards and it's cards on caregiving and who's going to do their caregiving who's going to do the kids school transitions from 11th to mm. 12th grade and you pull the cards out of the box and you have conversations of what this means in the family but but we're adults here when we right. hire people in the paid workplace, we hire them to do a particular task. <laughs> but we just throw women to the wolves <laughs> in the household. You know what I mean? It's so there's this historical myth that she's just better at it, that she's naturally suited. I've heard women say, My husband did the laundry for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. but I got it back because I'm better at it. And I'm like, sit in front of you two. You know, so. So she continues to carry that burden and then there's resentment and then there's resignation and sometimes there's divorce. Why is divorce happening? It's many, 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 many mm. things. But sometimes it's because of one too many cups on the countertop. Look, it's not small that that person isn't paying attention to what you're saying. Seeing the cup on the countertop is a small thing, but it's mm-hmm. still volumes about what is happening mm. in that dynamic, I think. Right. It may be a cup on the countertop, but mm-hmm. does a cup on the countertop make you blow a gasket or do you blow a gasket because you're like one more time, Right. I'm invisible. It's disrespectful. One more time. I mean, it's deeper than a mm-hmm. hundred little things because when we think of a hundred little things, we're like, what is her effing problem? 
But just beneath the surface is invisibility, disrespect. I I, I was once, this, this has always mm-hmm. stood out to me. I was once called into a um, home to declutter and organize. And it was a, a young couple and there was a, a tiny, a little baby. It was a small condo. And uh, the island in the kitchen was just filled with everything. Pacifiers, bananas, electronics, everything. And we're sitting on a couch uh, <laughs> and we look, we look at the island. And I said to her, when you look at that, how does that make you feel? And she was just like, I hate it. I'm so ashamed of how, of how mm-hmm. I've allowed us to live. And I looked at him. I said, how does that make you feel when you see that? Like, doesn't bother me. And I held myself back. And I said, um, how is it that you're not feeling her pain here? How is it that you're sitting, you're not, mm-hmm. that you're not sitting here saying, Regina, what do we need to do? And he said, but I wake up right. with the baby every night during the night so she could get her beauty rest. And I said, and what do you do the other 97% of the time? <laughs> I didn't get the job. I know that there's a lot of that that goes <laughs> because right. it's women's work and she's feeling the shame. And that's another thing I hear. It doesn't bother him. So if it bothers me, then it's on me. And I think, but aren't you a team? Want right. your partner to feel safe and happy right. and comfortable and let people come over? Why don't you want to participate and making that happen for you and the family and for her. And even if it's just for her, just do that. You know, it just is my problem for me. I do have a question. So we've been talking about how this is usually women's work. And especially if you don't have the executive functions to be doing this type of work, really difficult. What if the man doesn't have the executive functions or what if both people don't have the executive functions to really do all of so this? That's a great question, uh, Erica. And, and um, another component to some of these solutions is to embrace the art and practice of radical delegation. Mm. We delegate to the person we believe knows how to do the job because women are trained and socialized mm. to recognize the invisible of course, they're better at it, even if they do have weak executive mm-hmm. functioning skills. At least they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've trained. So radical delegation is delegating a task because it has to be none, no matter who's good at it or not. It doesn't matter. Right. It has to be done. Groceries have to be bought. Laundry has to be done. So you, you have mm-hmm. to come to... Uh, an understanding of, of what is good enough. There are so many ways to load a dishwasher. There's one right way. <laughs> and so, you know, we talk about making this travel list. If these things don't get done, what's the consequence? If the milk doesn't get bought, what's the consequence? No milk for the coffee. And what's the consequence of that? When when I when I think of, of the, this idea of radical delegation, um, what's the consequence of not loading the dishwasher correctly? Oh, there's some mm-hmm. food left on the plate. And what's the consequence right. of that? I, 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 I want to break it down to the least common denominator. And maybe a few go-arounds mm-hmm. like that. If people could talk to each other, and then there's 
how do we talk to each other lovingly and kindly without, without assigning right. blame, without, um, right. without labeling or judging? I mean, those are all big parts of how we each other. Right. But I loved your term where you were talking about radical yeah. delegation, because that immediately reminded me of what my sister and her fiance do. They have this chore chart in the house and they've assigned, so they've had the conversations like these things have to be done. One of us has to do it because we're the two adults in the household. And they have every chore written down and every week they will assign who gets to do it. So usually like my sister likes doing laundry. So she picks that uh, and they, they go back and forth like, okay, what do you feel like doing? What do you feel like doing? And if they can't decide who has to do like the leftover chores, they just like flip a coin. It's like, okay, well, this week is your week. Like that means next week is mine. And I think especially by sharing a chore being like this yeah, week is your yeah. duty, next week is mine. You understand the difficulty and it, it doesn't, it's not invisible. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it also, it's, it's, that's really good on so many levels because it's never owned by one person. Mm -hmm. And if you're paying attention to each other, the chore is being done way mm -hmm. that's going to continue to promote harmony in the household. So it'll mm -hmm. probably be done in a similar fashion, no matter who's right. doing it. Whoever doing the right. grocery shopping will probably buy that barbecue sauce because that's been the agreed upon. You know what I mean? I'm not kind of, right. When I was right. doing the book, I did a lot of focus groups. And one mm -hmm. of the questions had to do with, um, I remember the question, but this one woman said, we talked about all of this before we got together. And we continued the conversation as we, after we got married and, you know, really becoming more, setting things up. She said, but the conversation stopped along the way. We, mm. She said, we stopped talking about it too soon. That kind of charting what has to be done, it just has to be done. Certain things yeah. in the paid workplace that have to be done. There's profit and right. loss statements. There's accounting principles. There's, um, right. you know, we have to pay people. Uh, we have to do our deliverables, right. whatever, whatever the deliverables are. It has to be done. Really getting away from perfection yeah. to good enough. And that kind of reminds me of uh, the episodes that, that's going to come out right before yours, where I talk about a relationship agreement with my boyfriend and we lay out who's supposed to do what. And we have monthly check-ins to have conversations of, Hey, what went well, what didn't go well. So I'm wondering, is there anything from your book or from your own experience uh, working with different people? Is there anything that you would say, this is a big tool that everybody could use and will change a piece people of your life? Nah. No. <laughs> you know, what resonates on me there are so many self-help gurus out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, essentially, mm -hmm. and, and, and for me, the message is I've got to be transparent. I want to be able to be communicative. I've got to be able to express my needs. I, I, I want to be kind and thoughtful. I don't, I don't, I want to stay emotionally managed. So, mm -hmm. and, and, and I say that from the perspective of having live uh, in long-term relationships and, um, mm -hmm. and being very solo in my life now, I am very unencumbered. <laughs> 
but I do connect and talk with a lot of women and, and uh, you know, consider radical delegation. Consider, I, you know, they find out about the book and I said, ooh, make it nighttime bedroom reading with your honey. I mean, why yeah. not? I, I, again, you've yeah, got, you've got to have these conversations in loving ways. If there's love in yeah. the household, we've got to help each other see the invisible. We've got mm-hmm. to anticipate the emotional labor life cycle, preemptively radically delegate. What? Preemptively engage in radical delegation. See what's coming up. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Let's, <laughs> let's draw for it. Preemptively. Because right. as we know, mm. there's always something coming up. Always something. <laughs> if people could be really willing to explore this on that many levels. Oh my gosh. But it takes work. And that leads us beautifully into our last question that I always end on. And that's, who would you recommend your book to? And who would you not recommend your book to? I recommend this book to my clients who are professional women between the ages of 40 and 70 and Mm -hmm. feel that the weight of the world is on their shoulders and don't yet have a language talking about Mm -hmm. it with friends. And then I would also recommend it to their thoughtful and well-meaning spouses. Fair enough. I do think that if reading an entire book is too much to take on. You're going to be having a TED talk I in am. the future. So that would be something to look forward to and to watch instead if reading is not your cup of tea. Erica, it's called No <laughs> Bras Required. Ooh. I know. You heard it's it here funny. first. <laughs> I stepped out on the TED stage and I, I started with No Bras Required couple of women in the audience went, yay. And I'm like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, thank you so much for being on today. It was so lovely having you and having this conversation. Okay, cool. Take good care. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you're looking for Regina, you can find her in two places at aclearpath.net or on LinkedIn under Dr. Regina F. Lark. If you enjoyed today's episode, please stop what you're doing right now and give me a rating on your app. It really helps other people find me. If you have thoughts or tips you'd like to share, please do at Pod on Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail. I'll see you guys next time.